G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. What a wonderful privilege to be invited to speak with you this morning. A little boy from Wilmeringle. Most of you wouldn't even know where Wilmeringle is. Hopefully after a few moments today, one day you'll visit there and see where the story began. But as a Gummeroy man from the Northwest, I must pay my respects uh, to the Ngunnawal people, the land where we stand today. It always was their land and it always will be their land. And what a wonderful welcome this morning from an inspirational Australian. Her story alone should inspire us. Thank you also to His Excellency and Mrs Early, thank you for your support to me personally and to the story of iProud. To our political leaders this morning, what a wonderful blessing that we could sit together. We could sit together under one God, because God has brought us together. And why are we We're here for servants. We're here for service. We want to service our community. And that's what unites us. So bless you abundantly for the opportunity to come and talk to you a little bit. But hopefully you will draw something from today's address. Wilmeringle is this little village in far west New South Wales. When everybody lived there, there was 300 people. I was raised on a wool growing property in a 400 by 400 metre complex. That was my community. The elder in the community was a man called Jack Orcher. He died at 102. Just like Our welcome earlier talked about our old people. They're still living strong. That's what inspires me. And throughout the story of my life, it could have ended a lot earlier, but it's the inspiration from those elders that lived into their hundreds, that wanted to raise up generations so that we can contribute back to our community. So I got the opportunity as a young boy to grow up in that, in that elder community. Jack Orcher taught his people how to shear sheep, build fences, muster stock, do anything to work so that you could feed your family. Wilmeringle is about 100 kilometres away from the nearest police station, hospital, any major service a remote community. As much as Pop tried, when the grog came, 
devastation came. It was not utopia. Just ask the women and children. I'm a product of a generation that grew up when grog came. And we lost that focus. Mum died at 28. Imagine getting cancer in the main city, let alone a remote community. It's a death sentence. Mum left me with two messages. She said, son, don't smoke. I wish he would have said, don't drink. And she said, love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, soul and spirit. So as a young boy, I came from a Christian family, the gospel was there. And while there was so much instability out there in the community, inside our family home, with my grandmother and my mother as such a young woman, they would pray for us. They would talk to us about the Lord. And I remember my grandmother telling me, son, you are gonna grow up one day and you're going to be a leader in your community. But most of all, son, I want you to serve the Lord. I didn't know how much those words meant until a few, a few years later. As most of us do, we go our own way, we grow our own lives, we make our own decisions. And one of my dreams of coming from a small community was to play footy. Play footy and shear a sheep. That's all we wanted to do. I probably couldn't do neither very well. But I got to achieve my dream. I got to achieve my dream of going to Sydney and playing senior rugby league. And I know everybody in the room today and online are all closet Roosters supporters. <laughs> we talk about prayer uniting our country. I'm sure if we all became Sydney Roosters supporters, we could change everything about this world. There's a brother. One amongst thousands. So Arthur Beetson was the pinnacle for us in rugby league, but synonymous with Aboriginal achievement. And he became that for me as a little boy. We had no TV, but we had the ABC radio and I could hear Arthur Beetson's name and all the people talking about Arthur Beetson and talking about how this Aboriginal man made his way to Sydney and made his way to be one of the best of our countries ever produced. I wanted to be like him. Equally, I wanted to be like my grandfather, my mother's father. They called him the freak, the Will Maringle freak, the way he could shear sheep with a broken arm, with plaster on, he shore 300 with narrow comb. I wanted to be like him. He was my hero, just like Arthur Beetson. So I thought if I could achieve anything along those lines, um, I've done well. Before Arthur retired from coaching, I received a call from him one day to come to Sydney and play. I was living in Burke at the time, 
still shearing. I dropped the phone. I was on a plane as quick as I could get there because I thought if I was going to do anything, I wanted to do it with Arthur Beetson. So I got to spend a couple of years with Arthur. In the back of my mind, how can I contribute back into my community? What can I do? Always thinking about my people. So as time went on, life was going pretty well until 1997 when I received another phone call. This phone call was from my auntie on my dad's side. She said, son, are you sitting down? I've got some really bad news to t share with you. She said, son, your sister Fiona is on life support. There's been a tragic incident in the police cells in Brewarrina today, and you need to get to Dubbo as soon as you possibly can. It was in the middle of the day at 2.30. My sister in her own town was locked up for drunkenness. Now, if you know anything about Aboriginal deaths in custody and you looked a bit deeper, in Brie Warner in 1987, 10 years earlier, there was another death in custody. The outbreak of violence after that death in custody is there for everybody to see. Historically, a blight on all of us. So in 1997, I knew exactly what was going to happen. There was another powder keg, and I was the match. A six foot four match. Everybody knew Peter. Everybody knew the style of man I was. Everybody knew already how angry I was. And everybody knew how much I disregarded New South Wales police. So I was the match to that powder keg. So as we were preparing to say goodbye to my sister at our, our fu her funeral, the community west of Western, Western New South Wales was on a knife edge. But the Lord intervened. When I was asked to burn Brewarrina to the ground, We said we want peace in our community. We don't want Fiona's death to be a legacy of destruction and violence. We said then that we were going to have a positive out of her tragedy. We had no idea what that was going to be. Two years later, as the eldest in the family, trying to hold my family together, trying to be an upright citizen, functional adult by day, tormented at night. To the point where one day I made a decision that I cannot do this anymore. So has anybody travelled the Newell Highway? Even in this flood-ravaged time, there will be a truck that go past you every few seconds. So I calculated that every eight minutes, a truck would go past. I'll choose one of those trucks. So I said goodbye to my little family. Parked on the Newell.
and waited for that truck. The Lord, as he always does, intervenes. I don't know if he contacted the government and the government contacted all the truckies in the country and said, do not send any trucks on the Newell Highway at this time of the night. There is a young man in distress for 40 minutes. I remember what one man was telling me, son, you're gonna grow up to be a leader. Son, you're gonna bring people to the Lord. I remember saying to my wife and kids, so for 40 minutes, I got to ponder. I made a decision then that I would follow Jesus. I said, Lord, I know you're real. I know you're real because you've intervened throughout my life. You've raised me up with all the things that have happened. And here I am still standing. There is not a liquid I haven't drank and there's not a drug that I haven't tried to heal the pain of losing my sister and trying to be the brother with the guilt and the unforgiveness that I felt towards New South Wales Police. Two days later, I said to my wife, we're going home to Burke to talk to my uncle and auntie who were pastoring a church out there. And I walked down that aisle and I surrendered my life to Jesus. My life has never been the same since. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. I started to think differently. I gave that evil grog away. I started to stop mixing with the people that I shouldn't have been mixing with. They're, they're the angry people. They were telling me that the police had killed my sister. And this is what we need to do to change that. I said, I got an idea. I reckon if we can get Aboriginal people to join New South Wales police, we'll change everything. I want Aboriginal people to be in the cops. I want them to be in a blue uniform. I want them to be the role model in their family. I want them to be in the trucks to talk to their family and friends. <laughs> Took me 10 years, the best 10 years of my life. The program's been going for over 15 years now. We've trained hundreds of people, hundreds of people. They've made their way into their dream job. They've changed attitudes. I've had an 88-year-old great-grandmother come to me one day. She was four foot. She came and held me in Goulburn at the at a station and said to me, thank you so much. I said, what for, auntie? She said, for changing me, changing my attitude towards police. This is my great-great-grandson who's a graduating today, getting to throw his hat in the air but I've had an historical bad relationship with New South Wales Police. And this program and this journey for my grandson has changed everything. Thank you so much. I don't take any glory from this program. I would rather have my sister. 
But now that she's not here, we've got this great program. And I get the opportunity to travel all around New South Wales. There's a, an award in her name that's presented to the, the students and I get to present that so they can see that this is a real story. This is a real program. This is something that's come out of tragedy. However, more has happened. Because I returned to my first love and that's the love of Christ. Throughout this journey, I've found out so much about myself, the unforgiveness I carried. And I know that you don't have to put up your hand, but most of us would have dealt with unforgiveness in some way or another. Mine was first to my dad. So I traveled from Dubbo to Bathurst, sat with my dad and told him that I forgive him how he's treated us and my mum in our raising up, in our separation. And I said, I love you, Dad. And he said to me, as most dads would do, old Shearer, what did I do? What have I done? So, Dad, we don't have to go into any of it. I just want you to know that I forgive you. That started me on this track of what do I need to do with my friends in New South Wales Police. And the more I understood about forgiveness and what unforgiveness was doing to, to me, that led me into that car that night, that I couldn't deal with it anymore, that I know that I've surrendered my life to Jesus. On that very spot, I made a for unforgiveness plea to God to help me to understand, to deal with the unforgiveness I had towards police. And what was coming to me was so much that I appreciate the work they do in our community. How many of us can go to sleep each night knowing full well we've got people out there on the street looking after us, keeping us safe. When we're running away from something, they're running to something. The people in this force who are Christians, there are many people with families, young people starting their journeys. I changed everything and un my understanding about forgiveness. I can stand in this spot today and say to New South Wales Police, to New South Wales Police, I forgive you. I appreciate everything they do for me and my families and our communities. I appreciate what the New South Wales Police have done for my family at the time. Mistakes can be made by any of us. And I appreciate them. And we have worked together so much in every little community to change everything. We've invested in our kids to under, for our kids to understand crime is not a pathway. But we as leaders need to lead that. And I'm so glad for myself in my own heart that I've been able to deal with that unforgiveness. We have great, great friends, we do great work. We've got a great program, it's come from a tragedy, but now there's so much glory and honour, and all that is to God himself. So I appreciate that we've all have dealt with so much in our country, so much right on our doorstep just recently with our floods. There's so much hurt and misery in our community. 
and in my life I can only stand before you and say this there is only one answer there is only one way Jesus is the answer bless you bless you abundantly for listening to me today I hope one day you'll visit my little community I hope one day that you will come across a young person who's Aboriginal who's in a blue uniform ask them how did they find their way into the job I hope they say we've come through a program called iProud you say I know a bit about that (laughs) thank you once again and bless you for attending today and all those online for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.